Good evening. It's so great being with you guys today. All these smiling faces. It's Wednesday right in the middle of your week. Some of us are battling it out. It's Wednesday. I don't know about you, but my day was a lot. um, It just seemed like the day as it went on and on, lots of conversations about the state of the world. A lot of talks about politics. A lot of just... And trust me, when I get going, it is. <laughs> it's weird, though. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you, you come into the Lord's house, things change. Perspectives are open. This is, this is his house. And when his people get together, we know something special happens. And it changes your perspective for the better, don't you think? So I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be here. You never know what the world's going to throw our way, but we know this that he's on the throne and he's amongst us right now. He's what makes this place special because he's he's within us, amen? We're in Genesis chapter 33. And, you know, if you've been following with us, we're gonna, you know, the the narrative is still stuck on Jacob. You were here last week, just a little refresher course. God's starting to work on Jacob, that little scoundrel. If you remember last week, it was a great chapter, not because I taught it, because it's a great chapter, okay? It's just, it's just a great chapter. There's wrestling in it, right? So how do you not like a chapter with wrestling in it? You have to like that, right? But Jacob, responding to God's call to him to come back home, right? He was with his uncle Laban. He said, I, I ha- get back, get back to the promised land. Get back to where your, your daddy's from right? Get back to where you belong. You've sojourned for 20 years, running from your brother Esau, afraid that he was going to kill you, and you're running. Time to come home. So this great homecoming last week we saw, Jacob, his number one concern on his heart and his mind was, what would his brother Esau, how would he respond to him? Because 20 years earlier, he quite literally Jacob, his brother, out of his inheritance, right? He stole it from him in a, in a very uh, scrupulous way. And in the front of his mind, he knows that he's going to have to face his brother at his homecoming. And we've been building towards that in chapter 32. He's afraid of his brother. And it said that his brother, the some of his messengers saw him. He's bringing 400 men with him. That's, that's where he picked this up. He's, he sent them droves of gifts. If you remember in that chapter, he sent them lavish gift after lavish gift in waves and would leave space between them. And he was way behind just watching these gifts, trying to kind of buy his brother's reconciliation, just making sure he knows He's not coming to take, he's coming to give. He's in a humble position, but he was still back behind, still not trusting the Lord. And then you remember, God grabbed Jacob. Remember the divine wrestling match that we talked about? And it was, I'm sure you remember that, but the way I put it was, God was trying, like God can try. God was trying to beat the Jacob or wrestle the Jacob out of Jacob. And so in that last chapter, there was a start of a great reversal in Jacob's life, in his character. God's like, I've had enough of you. This is, I want you to be my prevailer, right? 
Not, not the heel snatcher. I want you to be my champion. And is it, isn't that nice? Something I always tell my, my younger son still wrestles. He wrestles in college. And sometimes when he has a little success or he's starting to make progress, I always tell him this. And I think it encourages him. I don't know. But I say, you just remember, you're my champion first. You're mine first. And I think that's what God is saying to Jacob. Hey, listen, you're my champion. I chose you because I, I, I chose you. And I want you to start acting like somebody I chose. And so after the wrestling match, we pick it up in chapter 33. Jacob lifts his eyes, it says in chapter 33, verse one. And Jacob lifted up his eyes, looked and beheld, and he saw Esau coming. Esau's coming. All building to this, this meeting of the brothers. Esau, 20 years ago, swore he was gonna kill his brother. Now Esau, 400 men, he lifted his eyes and he saw him. So Jacob divided the children among Leah and Rachel, his wives, and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. It says that he himself, and this is a key phrase here, went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Mm. If you caught it, remember last week, he sent the gifts and the droves, and where was he? All the way in the back, being Jacob. God wrestles him, gives him a new name. Jacob, now you're my champion, you're my prevailer. Let's, let's go forward. He, first thing, he lifts his eyes, he sees Jacob, them coming. Now he's out in front of the women and children. Novel concept, right? He's trying to be a leader. He's, he's slowly changing a bit. A little bit of change in character just by the fact that he's out in front, not behind, amen? Jacob's making progress. Some of Jacob got beat out of him. He doesn't seem to be as afraid by the posture of the, as a, the phraseology. He's, he's out in front. He's already showered Esau with gifts. Esau made it through all the droves and finally got to Jacob in front of his family. Maybe, maybe I think this first, this phrase, better late than never. He bows seven times. Hey, listen, I'm going to submit to you. I'm not coming to take anything like I did before. And also, I'm going to put myself below you. I'm going to humble myself. We talked a little bit last week about God giving grace to the, the humble, right? And resisting the proud. But I wonder, as I read this, if you, when you read this, I wonder if Jacob's posture would have been like this 20 years ago. Instead of wearing the goat furs and stealing and being the deceiver, if he just said, you know what, you're the older brother. I know how it works in this culture. I, let's see how God plays this out. And I'm gonna be an honorable person. I'm not gonna deceive anybody. I'm gonna be humble. I'm gonna be humble at heart. I wonder if it would have been any different if he would have just rested and had faith in what God already promised him, amen? But here, at least better late than never, right? He bows seven times, he comes to his brother. We'll check it out in verse four, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck 
and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given to me, your servant. Then the servants drew near and they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down to Esau. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. You know, if anybody's ever been estranged with a family member, let me just read that again. Esau ran to meet his brother. They embraced and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept. What a beautiful scene of reconciliation. Don't you think? I mean, family can be a weird thing. I mean, we look at this, what, you can't make these stories up. When you read Genesis, it's like, to me, it's unbelievable. And that's why I know it's true. There's no way anybody could make this kind of stuff up, right? You, you think that your family puts the funk in dysfunctional? Read God's family, <laughs> and he doesn't give up on any of them. But this is such a touching story to me. If you've ever had a family member that you're estranged with, Jacob, assuming the worst, my brother's coming with 400 men. I have this guilty conscience because I really did him dirt. All the time, it, Jacob never for once, I, thought, I think, thought that maybe God's working on Esau. Maybe if we prayed and we, we trusted God to change the people that we've done dirty and to see our heart of, of reconciliation. It's a beautiful scene to me. He, he runs to him. And I think it's a great reuniting of, of two brothers. There's nothing sadder to me than family that's estranged. And, and trust me, I know, I have a huge family and it is some strong personalities and it always hasn't been good in our family. But if there, the Bible says, if there's anything within you to make peace, I wanna do that. I, and I am getting old enough where I don't want, I, I don't want anything between me and anybody. If it's on my part, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna bow down. <laughs> Seven times, I'm sorry. We're brothers. It ought not to be this way. Now, I know it's, you know, in a relationships, it takes two people to be open, right? This is 20 years in the making here, right? At one point, maybe Jacob was open and the other, Esau, and you have this kind of, but if it's within you to make peace, what a beautiful reunion there, I think. It's a beautiful scene to me, how then Esau looks up and goes, who are all these people? Jacob says, God's blessed me. These are all my blessings. Even though I'm a scoundrel, <laughs> he blessed me. And Esau, as we'll see, he's content in what God's given him too in, in a few more verses. But man, I, I, when I see this, I see two people letting the past be the past, which is very difficult to do especially for Esau. He got the wrong end of this. But instead of him dying on that hill, right? 
you're wrong. Esau doesn't seem to be interested in hashing out the details. You ever try to reconcile with someone and they want to talk about it again? And you're like, look, man, I sent you all these gifts. Listen, I, I'm sorry. I can't redo. I, I can't. If I could, I would. I can't, so I won't. And I, I'm sorry. And they just want, they don't, they don't want reconciliation. These two people in this posture, in this scene, it's beautiful. They both let the past be the past. And let me just tell you something, if you don't know this yet, if there is one thing that can ruin your spiritual life and make you the most miserable person in the world, and that is if you don't forgive people and leave the past where it belongs, right? You keep drudging up stuff. We build these big skeletons and these monsters and we stuff them in the closet. And when we try to get close to people, we always just open that up and look at this big old fat monster I made. All the while, Esau doesn't even care. He's been over it a long time ago. Paul in Philippians chapter three, in Philippians is by far my favorite prison epistle. It is such a joyous book. Maybe it's the first book I studied and I just love Philippians. And in chapter three, Paul, the crux of that chapter is we need to have a forward looking attitude or mindset, a perspective that's looking forward, not behind. Amen? Let me read you. It's, it's a wonderful little, little passage in Philippians. It says, Paul, writer of two thirds of the New Testament, you could probably say, a team, <laughs> right? God gave him the mantle to teach grace revelation to, gen to, to us. It's his grace truth, as I call it, that would blow the Jewish mind away. What we have in Jesus Christ, he gave Paul that mantle. It says in the Bible that he is the steward of the dispensation of grace. He's the guy, the household rule of grace now, not law, was given it was given to be taught by Paul himself. Amazing. That guy says this in chapter three of Philippians, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I wanna forget what lies behind and I wanna strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, goes on to say, those of you that are mature have this attitude. Let it the heck go. This is Paul saying this, I don't have it all figured out. Paul. Doesn't have it all figured out, but he says, the one thing I do, this is what I know, that if I look back and don't forget it, it's gonna mess me up. I've learned that I need to press on, forget. And it's a, a, a really great word in Greek, forget. It, it has the same idea of this word picture. If you see these two reconciling and letting the past be the past, it, it doesn't mean that you never ever will remember things that hurts you in the past. It means that you're gonna neglect your thinking. You're gonna restrictively focus down on not there, but here. It's like, cause there's some things you don't forget, right? One of them might be your brother pretty much bamboozling you out of your birthright. Some of them might be ugly divorces. Some of them might be, I don't know, 
just the pain of addiction and rejection and abandonment, those are, those are big things for people. See, we're not supposed to screw a smile on our face and go, yeah, you know, no. What we're supposed to do is, is not live back there, but live this way. And the proof of this, that we don't forget these things, is in the same great Apostle Paul. You may remember, as his life progressed, he said at the be- more of the beginning of his ministry, he said, I'm the least of the apostles, didn't he? Remember when he said that, First Corinthians? I'm the least of you guys. Ephesians chapter three, I'm the least of the saints. Paul, you're sliding. Least of the saints, Paul, really? And then finally, he says, some of the last words he penned to his protege Timothy in First Timothy, he says this, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Why would he say such a thing? Well, if you know Paul's story, before he got converted, he killed Christians. He persecuted God's church. And we don't look at, you know, we, we whitewashing, but he murdered women and children in the name of God. And when he came to himself, when God brought him and called him, and he got saved in a dramatic way there on Damascus, boom, everything changed. Every, a great reversal in his life took place. And he, he was like, oh, man. Oh, man, I did persecute. Paul, why are you persecuting Saul? Why are you persecuting my church? That's why. He didn't forget. That nagged Paul. But even him in those moments, he's like, listen, don't live back there. It'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. Look back if you need to to learn a few lessons, but we're moving forward, amen? We got to go forward. We got to neglect it. Some of the wisest words I've ever heard anybody say to myself, counseling someone I really love, they they lost a loved one. And it was hard. That's not something you forget. And they kept going back and living in those moments. And this person told this other person, said, listen, honey, I know you miss your dad. Go back, visit him when you need to, but don't live there. Come back to us and live your life forward. Go back and visit if you need to, time and again, but your focus should not be there. That is not a way, there's no future in the past. And if you want any spiritual life, we gotta move forward, amen? You gotta move forward. The fundamental problem about living in the past is you're not using your faith when you're going this way, right? Faith has to do with with, with this way. Substance of things, hope for the evidence of things you can't see. It's out there in the unknown, in the tomorrow. That's what faith is. God wants us to walk by faith. When you're going this way, you're not doing that. And and if you haven't read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you ought to think about it. It's you cannot please God without faith. So when we live back there and we demand our way and we don't reconcile because we're dredging up our past, what you're really doing is you're not pleasing God. And as we'll see, I don't care how many memorials you set up. I don't care how much you raise your hands in here and pray to God. Listen, all that's really good stuff. But if you're going that way and it's not done out of faith, it's nothing to God. So I like that they let the past be the past. It's beautiful. It's freeing, don't you think? Anybody who's ever experienced this kind of reconciliation, I'm stuck right here. Because Esau and Jacob, they kissed each other. And they cried. And the brothers were brothers and they were hugging. And hey, who are all these beautiful kids? Hey, let me. 
Is this your wife? Well, she's beautiful. Could you see the reunion? That's the way we're supposed to reconcile. We're supposed to leave all that junk behind. You know what? Esau is a big person. It takes a big person to do that, don't you think? Because he got hurt and he didn't demand his way and want to rehash what he did. He just left the past be the past. And I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. And I'd say this, as we neglect our varied past and checkered past (laughs) and we push onward and upward by faith, you will be blessed. I promise you that. You will never regret that. Amen? We'll never regret it. I love this scene. He continues in verse 9. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? He's saying, you remember all those droves of gifts that he said? Remember, so listen to the mindsets. Jacob wanted to send all these gifts to soften him, right? So when they met, they would, he would know he doesn't want to take anything from him. Jacob said, man, I, I passed all these people, all these gifts. He, he says, what do you mean by all this? Why are you even doing this? I'm a bit confused. I was just coming to meet my brother with 400 of my buddies. <laughs> and Jacob answers, because I wanted to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, Something pretty sweet. He said, I have enough. You may remember Esau, he didn't get the covenant blessing, right? That was promised to Jacob and was given and kind of finagled out of him. But if you remember there back 20 some odd years ago, Isaac gave him something. He blessed him too. And whatever he blessed him with was mostly material, but it was enough for Esau. He found himself content in what his daddy gave him. It's pretty sweet. Ace, I don't know, maybe. You ever wonder, why didn't he pick Esau? (laughs) God, this guy seems like a pretty good dude for the most part. He said, it was enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Just a big, generous spirit Esau has here. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, Esau, then accept my presence from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and then he took it. I like this a lot. Esau was content. The Bible says godliness with contentment is of great gain, right? To be content in what you have. Esau was content in his portion. I do like that. Jacob went on to urge him to take his gift. And in here you see this culture, this culture was like, you didn't take a gift from an enemy, but you also didn't refuse a gift from a friend. It was rude. It was etiquette. And he kept insisting. And in this little exchange, in my opinion, you see Jacob giving the gifts, giving the gifts, giving the gifts. It's a word picture of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Without him having to save face. He said, listen. Take the gifts. Take the gifts. 
Now, Esau could say, I don't want to take the gifts because I'm not forgiving you. But for his part, Esau said, I'll take your gifts finally, which the word picture is, I forgive you. So in here you have, I'm sorry and I forgive you. In my opinion, I think that's how it's, how it's playing out here. It's a beautiful scene. It's, it's culture. Have you ever tried to, when something's in between and you're, you're, you're trying to close that gap between a relationship that's been strained or broken? I mean, I have. I, you have opportunities to give and to be gracious sometimes. You, you try to give a little restitution, and it's sometimes your words are really good, but sometimes your actions speak even more depth than your words, right? And if you've ever seen this, like I, I had this in my office. I, I, someone that, whoever's fault it was, there was some separation between us. And his kids came in my office with him, and I said, hey, man, I got this one. This one's on me. This one's on me. Nope, I'm not letting you pay. So listen, no, really, no, really, it's okay. It's awesome. I own a vineyard. No, I did say that, but so listen, I got the money, okay? <laughs> I can do it. I, I, I want to I I bless you, partly because I felt bad of the way I had behaved. Nope. That's, I'm sorry. And guess what? You can still eat your, you can eat your, you can eat all that bill. This is, this is awesome. They both, hey, please take it, please take it. Esau said, I know it's polite. I'll take your gift. I won't be prideful, right? It's beautiful. Sometimes restitution is what we need, I think. Everybody says sorry in their own unique way. Amen? And you're never going to get those words from some people. And you ought to meet them more than halfway. And say, yeah, I'll take your gift in a gracious way. You're trying, and that's enough for me now. I don't want to rehash it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me pay the bill for you. Amen? Let me grab that meal for you. Whatever I can do for you. Let me give you some time. And I like how it was a good reciprocation here. Jacob gave the gifts. I think that's him saying sorry. And I also think Esau took the gifts. And he said, I forgive you. And I think it's beautiful. He goes on, verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven too hard for a day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Sierra. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Sierra, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. So listen, J Jacob here, travels to the promised land. He's talking to his brother. His, he's like, hey, I'll, let's go. Let's go up to Sierra. And, and Jacob tells his brother, go on ahead of me and I will follow you. Because the flocks are, I don't want to press them. They, I got kids. You go. Jacob lets him have a big head start. And if you noticed, he didn't, he didn't head to Sierra. He went to Sukkoth. 
So Jacob, although he's doing better, he's still Jacob a little bit. He kind of doesn't keep his word. In the end of the day, I don't know why he headed north instead of south. I don't know. But I do know this, that he told his brother he was going to meet him there, and he didn't. A little Jacob left in Jacob. God didn't beat every little inch out of him. Although God chose Jacob, Jacob has free will, and Jacob can make Jacob choices, right? We all get to choose, right? We all make our choices, and Jacob made his choice. He built booths, it says, and house. Like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they're not supposed to build permanent houses. They're supposed to be sojourners in this promised land. That Abraham, all the way down to the, the fathers, like, hey, no, no houses yet. You're not living a settled life. I don't want you to live the city life yet. I want you tenting, tabernacling. He was trying to show them something, but Jacob settles. He goes opposite direction, doesn't keep his word. He's heading towards the promised land. He's in the vicinity of where God wants him to go. And then he does what God told his daddy and his granddaddy not to do. And that's, he built a permanent, permanent residence, semi-permanent resident. It's interesting. If you look at the last two verses, we'll finish that thought. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram. And he camped before the city and from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father. He bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So if you remember back when God called um, Jacob to come home, when he was at his uncle Laban's house in chapter 31, he called him and he said to him, I am the God of Bethel, where you were anointed a pillar and made me a vow. Do you remember when he came out of there? He had a pillow and that's where he made his little altar. He anointed it and he said, you'll be my God if you do such and such. He said, that's where I want you to come back to, Bethel. And he's close to Bethel. Shechem is in, in, it's in the promised land. It's in the vicinity, but it's not in Bethel. So it's like, He's being obedient, but like only partially obedient would be a good way to put it. And, and if you haven't got this part, and if you have kids, you'll under, you understand this. If you've raised kids, it's, and also if you have a mirror and you look at your life, you, this would teach you the same thing, <laughs> that, that partial obedience is what? It's disobedience, right? God told him to do something. He's partially believing it. He's kind of this in this halfway house. It's still disobedience. He goes to Bethel. Supposed to, he's supposed to go to Bethel. He ends up in Shechem. It was good, but it, 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 it wasn't great. It wasn't obedience. And that's what God really wants. I mean, and he makes it worth by, he, he memorializes. He makes an altar. He makes an altar. What do you do on altars? You make sacrifice. Is that a bad thing to do to God? It's a good thing, right? But would God rather have his 100% obedience 
versus the sacrifice? We all know the answer to that, right? He wants our obedience. And there's a great story that illustrates this in 1 Samuel. You may remember King Saul? When Sam, God rejects Saul, if you remember, he gives him something to do. I think in chapter 15, he gives him something to do. And it sounds bad, but he tells King Saul to go absolutely decimate Amalek because they treated his people, Israel, so harshly in their exodus out of Egypt. They hounded them and made their life miserable. When, they, when Israel finally regrouped and they got their king, Saul, he said, Saul, go wipe them all out. And sometimes it's hard to hear those words, but God actually said, the women, the children, and the livestock, no living thing should be left of those people. I don't understand all that that means, okay? <laughs> but that's what he told Saul to do. And I trust God in his righteousness and his loving ways that that's how it worked out. I'm gonna leave it at that. But that's what he said. And do you remember what Saul did? He went and killed some people, but he saved the king, remember? And he also saved some of the livestock. And then what did he go do? He went and he built an altar and he sacrificed. And then, of course, Samuel, right? God's representative, God's, God's prophet, God told Samuel, go, go tell him, man, he ain't the king anymore. I'm rejecting him because he's not, what? Obedient to me. And he's sitting up there doing his sacrifices. And this is what I want you to read. It says, maybe. <laughs> he meets him when he's at the sacrifice and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's a great story. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Interesting to me. It's the same idea. He wants your obedience and then your sacrifice, right? You can't fool God. You can't play God. Look, you can't play God that way because he's God. He wants your full 100% obedience, and then you offer sacrifice, whether it's of praise and whatever we do now. So listen, when we come in here disobedient and we come into places like this, I wonder if God's ears are like, yeah, what I'm looking for you guys, what I'm looking for is, is, is to trust and obey me. And yet with those black hearts, we come in here sometime and we offer our sacrifice of praise. And don't get me wrong, it's good to be here because you got a chance, right? You got a chance, God softens you in here. And yes, 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 yes. But sometimes when I come in here, the first thing I do when I walk in those doors is I just push rewind of my week. And Lord, give me a pure heart. Show me any wicked way I have in me. If there's something that I am, I am disobeying you in right now, I know this isn't going to be good. I know this is nothing but an act. I know that Saul would say the same thing to, I mean, Samuel, what, what are the, why do I hear? Saul said, I did what you asked me. And then, and then I don't know if you, if you read that story, Samuel's like, why do I hear goats bellowing? 
Why do I see a king? You're supposed to decimate everything. I think sometimes maybe that's how he sees us when we offer our disobedient sacrifice. Desires obedience first. It's really what he wants. It's the faith rest life who then uses your own legs to trust and obey those promises that you grab by your faith, amen? That's what God, that's what he desires from us. Yes, he likes our sacrifice of praise, but he wants us to be kids that trust and obey, amen? All right, we're done early today. You like me now? How do you like me now? (laughs) All right, Father, so... (laughs) Thank you so much for your word and your people, Father. I just pray that you would um, send us on our way, that you would give us peace and contentment in our lives, that, Father, if there is something in the past that's keeping us back from reconciliation, forgiveness, Father, I pray that you would, would, in a special way, send your spirit to soften us up like you did these two brothers. You worked on them. You worked on their hearts. Behind the scenes, you worked on them. My Father, I pray that you would soften us up where we need to be softened. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor in our lives. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen, guys. Have a great night.